Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Felisco. And I am your uh, special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your normal host, Bob Roberts himself. Like, I... <laughs> I, I had a better joke, and I was like, "No, I would rather I like Bob one. Roberts. I'd yeah. rather Bob Roberts host this show." Here's what's great. Here's what's great. It's a tight joke, right? Like it's just <laughs> like it's Bob. He's here. It's mm-hmm. great. Uh, what's not to love? But with us today, uh, Ryan Marker from the Screen Drafts Podcast. Hey. Thank you for coming back. Of course, uh, you've been on for a couple now. Oh, um, yeah. This is your first ninety-two. Um, you came on for a couple 99s, uh, everyone's favorite pushing tin episode, uh, everyone's second favorite simpatico episode. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Simpatico. Um, and I gotta be honest, I know I've said this before on my, I'll say it again. The abyss episode is still one of my favorites. Uh, nothing like three and a half hours of talking about Jim Cameron trying to kill people underwater. It's great. It's, oh, it's, totally. Didn't we do, what did we do in the loop too? I felt like I was, um, yes, yeah, 2009. for, for 2009. Yep. Yep. And I thought like, oh, with Bob Roberts, that's a nice kind of. No, uh, I thought that too. As I was watching this, it was like, back. this is a nice kind of, you know, uh, uh, mirror here, kind of. I don't listen to every episode of this show. Ryan, <laughs> I know, I know from your other show that you just mm-hmm. like, is every conversation you have three and a half hours long? Are you like, <laughs> are you like Forrest Gump? Do you see? down next to somebody on a park bench and just tell them a story for four hours is just that how you live your life i will say i gotta say this for you ryan for a quick second here because you know i've had the pleasure as have you emily of being on screen drafts there are episodes 
because it comes up on my feed, right? I've got to be honest. I've not watched every episode of screen, uh, listened to every episode of Screencast. There are episodes that's length are downright like, well, I'm never, I don't have the hours. I don't have the bandwidth to do right. six hours on Spielberg. Yeah. And Emily, to, 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 to answer your question, uh, yes, I, that is the case <laughs> that all of my conversations are four hours plus, And that's a prison that I've been trapped in for years now on that show called Screen Drafts. Yeah. So it's I just something. Like Clay Keller is your warden. He is my warden. <laughs> <laughs> and he brings all of you on to sort of join in the prison time. Yeah. of yeah. making a list uh so yes so, so yes but I, the abyss was a great a, a great night a great conversation a movie that requires i think that much i mean it, you could talk about totally. it forever i think it was um, it was a great episode um emily you were obviously on for for avatar we spoke a little james cameron then obviously we're all big james cameron fans uh, um so when i reached out to you ryan i sent you the list Yep. Uh, or I might have even just said like 92. I can't remember what it was. One or the other. But you, mm-hmm. Bob Roberts was like, that was your, that was your boy. You were like, yeah. I want to talk Bob, Bob Roberts. Um, a movie I knew existed, had never seen. Emily, did you know this movie existed? I knew it existed. I have seen Tim Robbins' other two directorial efforts. This one kind of came and went back in the day and I never yeah. got caught up. So this is my first time seeing it. But I remember really liking Dead Man Walking and really thinking Cradle Will Rock was just kind of a miss. And then yeah. he, uh, we'll talk more about it, but he didn't make another feature film after sure. that. He sure. made some he other stuff, that. though. He, he made some make stuff. Other stuff. We should talk about that stuff at some point. I, I, you know, what's interesting about this movie is I, I knew the poster. This is this is what happens when you work in video stores through most of of your adolescence and 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 film school, which is that you you remember box covers and posters for things, and you assume you know what the movie is just kind of based on that. And uh, spoiler didn't know what this like. This is the poster is for those who don't know is Bob Roberts kind of cloaked in an American flag with a guitar, right? And I was just like, okay, I mean folksy folksy political you know drama it's kind of what my brain was associated with this movie um i knew it was kind of i knew it had some love critically um and there were times when i often thought like i should watch that and then i just never got around to it so i thank you ryan for making us watch this film (laughs) um this film was not what i expected to be i certainly didn't know that it was a a mockumentary i didn't know Mm. that it was inspired by this is spinal tap of all Mm. movies right like just didn't know any of those things. Um, this movie, when I learned what it was about prior to watching it, I don't know how you felt about this, Emily, but like, I instantly was like, how's this going to look through a 2023 lens? Sure. Right? And I have to say, it actually fared better than a fair amount of political satires of the past have in a current 2023 lens. How did you feel about it, Emily? I think I I think I agree with that. Like, here's the thing: I am applying to this my sphere of when I was alive in 1992 of living in fundamentalist sure. Christian America, mm. and this movie kind of like this movie is too pleased with itself. It's a yes. little too Hollywoody, but it kind of gets it right. Yeah. Like Bob Roberts is definitely the kind of figure who would have popped on conservative talk radio at that point in time. And he's uh, they're playing that sort of character in a way that I think is kind of prescient and I think is a nice reminder to 
especially folks who think that like American uh, America, certain trends in America started with Donald Trump. But no, these have been around for a long, long time to the degree that Tim Robbins was making satire about them. It was kind of on point, which I would not have expected from Tim Robbins in 1992. Yeah. I mean, so first and foremost, Ryan, did you see this around 92? Do you remember the yeah. first time you saw this? And <laughs> Absolutely. How did, it, how did it hit you back then? Well, I was a young man sort of becoming politically aware at sure. that time. I lived with my grandfather, who was a World War II vet, but also a Korea War vet, and sort of was disenfranchised with America in general. Generally voted Democrat, but also was very deeply critical of Democrats. So um, when this movie came out, at that time, the environment was the Ross Perot, Bill Clinton. Sure. That had just happened, or that was about this to happen. About to, this comes out yeah. like six <clears throat> six weeks, two months before the election. Yeah. Right. And, and this movie is, is a movie that's a flashback, really, two years prior to the run-up to the Iraq War, uh, the first yes. one, um, yes. uh, where we protected Kuwait. You know, we defended mm -hmm. Kuwait against the evil Iraqis. And that plays as the backdrop of this movie so brilliantly. And I think for me, I had just never seen anything like that before. As a young man who had kind of realized there was a whole other language that I needed to learn in terms of politics, in terms of, you know, the duality of the system, in terms of all of the many systems and how they work and how they operate. And then, of course, there is what this movie is, which is an election movie. It's about a campaign and how that campaign morphs from being truly awful to truly being, you know, uh, we see now the, the tyranny that will come with Bob Roberts coming into power and how he does it, all the many disgusting ways he does do it, and all of the systems he manipulates all along the way. And to your point, Emily, I think that for me now, 30 years later, this movie sticks out probably more than any of the 90s movies in terms of, you know, Wag the Dog, movies about like, <clears throat> you know, the corrupt nature of politics. I think it was, this decade was the first decade where I saw movies like that, where it really was trying to expose the underbelly of what American politics actually is. And obviously there were antecedents to this. And, you know, for me, a big one is Facing the Crowd, Ilya Kazan's sure. Facing the Crowd, which is about a singer, folk singer who rises through the political system through by manipulating people. But again, on the flip end of things, now to look at this in the, in the, in the wake of Donald Trump uh, and really, again, what Emily was saying is so, so true that you look at things now and you go, God, I can see exactly how it all happened. But when you watch a movie like this, you realize that all was baked in. It was all very baked in, and it starts right here in 1992. In 1990, 1991, 1992, you really see the beginning of this malignant tumor that's going well, to kind of just build for the next the few thing, years. No, 100%. Sorry, go ahead, Emily. Yeah. The thing is, like, if you're on the left in America – it's really tempting to be like the last right wing major right wing politician is when it all went to shit. But like, you know, George W. Bush, people were people, you know, that's when it all went to shit. Ronald Reagan, that's when it all went to shit. Richard Nixon, that's like, that's just a perpetual thing. And it's always about like money. It's always about like creating division and cruelty among different groups of people. And I think we keep forgetting it 
And then someone like Trump comes into power and we're like, well, this is unprecedented. And in some ways, you know, his, he, he was, but in other ways, like we've always had these figures. These are, as, these figures are as American as like Mr. Smith from Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Sure. Yeah. I do. I do think though, you know, one of the things that really jumped out at me about this film and, and I don't want this to be just a like rag on Republicans because listen, the political system as a whole is broken. And I think we all agree on that. That being said, it does feel like the Republican Party is perhaps more soulless than the Democratic Party. And what you're seeing in this film and the thing that I think, Emily, you're kind of honing in on is that politics by and large is about dangling things in front of voters in the hopes of getting their vote right and it's and and a lot of it is sort of some of it is bullshit some of it is never ever gonna happen and i feel like the major tenets of the republican party seems to be about promising things to the to unfortunately the lower class the uneducated or the uninformed promising them things that will never ever ever happen in their lifetime and it's this that sort of perpetuating of you too will be rich. You too will get your day. You too will rise above all of this stuff. And it's, it's just a fallacy that they've been sort of perpetuating for so long. I think on the democratic side, I think a lot of that can be, you know, perhaps pointing at, 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 you know, minorities, but all that being said, I think that this movie, the lyrics of Bob Roberts songs are terrifying right like they're just coded dog whistle things that like obviously the dog whistles are gone now i mean we're we're past dog whistles at this point it seems like they just they just flat out say horrible things um but but yeah it's i read something about how they were supposed to release a soundtrack of all the songs and tim robbins stopped them and said no like i don't want these songs out in the world like i don't want these being turned into like hit singles like they they only exist within the context of this like even he realized that that was probably a bridge too far which i think is kind of amazing well this I, we, yeah i'm sorry go ahead go ahead Emily. when we need to raise money for the podcast let's record a bob roberts tribute album let's just get some of our favorites to come <laughs> in cover some of these songs oh by the way listen I mean, We've had SD Hyman. I feel yeah, like we she, can make this happen. Can, we can make this happen. She can. I don't. Yeah, I'd be curious what SD's take on uh, on one of, <laughs> on his rap song from. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's this movie is. Um, I think it's also worth noting. You know, Tim Robbins and his ex partner Susan Sarandon, very vocal political people. Um, they kind of always have been. Uh, they seem pretty far left. <laughs> At least she does. Uh, you know, I think Tim is as well. Um, and I think it's interesting that he sort of, this is his first directorial effort. It is sort of overtly political and political, you know, capital P about politics. He then makes Dead Man Walking, which is a sociopolitical movie. I mean, about sort of obviously about the death penalty, um, which I think is, I have not seen it since 95. Mm. I like to think it holds up. I liked it in 95. I don't know if you guys have seen it recently or more recently. I haven't. I'd be curious. I, I imagine it probably is still a very powerful movie. And then, as you mentioned, Emily, Cradle Will Rock, where, which he kind of just, it gets away from him. And then the movie has interesting notions, but it's a little too unwieldy. And it's kind of this big canvas that he just never really kind of gets his arms around. But, you know, he made one statement about Bob Roberts during, I think it was either, I think it was during um, 
post Trump, like post 2016, where he's like, well, we did it. Bob Roberts is president now. So I, congratulations. Hmm. Yeah. And America said who? <laughs> right. Right. Rick was like, uh, say that again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say this. Uh, let me give a little bit of context to this film, because as Emily just mentioned, I don't know that a lot of people have seen Bob Roberts. And also, spoiler, if you want to watch it, you can only watch it on DVD. So fire yeah. up your Amazon and look, buy it. Look at this. It. Look at this page. Look at that DVD I mean, case. You if can't, you can't see, see that. it. No. Oh, there he is. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. Um <laughs> Uh, millionaire conservative Bob Roberts, played by Tim Robbins, launches an insurgent campaign against incumbent Senator Brickley Paste, which is kind of an amazing name, uh, played by Gore Vidal, of all people, firing up crowds at his rallies by singing 60s-style acoustic folk songs with lyrics espousing far-right conservative social and economic views. Investigative journalist Bugs Raplin, again, great name, played by uh, Giancarlo Esposito, shadows the Roberts campaign trying to connect Roberts to a drug trafficking scheme, but an assassination attempt lays suspicion on both men. Bob Roberts opened on September 4th, 1992, against Honeymoon in Vegas, Unforgiven, Single White Female, Death Becomes Her, and of course, The Mighty Ducks. It would go on to make $4.5 million. It's got 95% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 78% from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film three stars and said, Bob Roberts isn't simply another satire about slimy political schemes. It's a satire about a whole mindset, about the anything-goes greed of the 1980s when decent American values were replaced by the cold cynicism of management experts. I like Bob Roberts. I like his audacity. It's freedom to say the obvious things about how our political process has been debased. Uh, But had it only been about campaign tactics, I would have liked it more. However, there is another thread in the film that doesn't work he then goes on to talk about how he doesn't particularly like the uh, investigative reportive angle of it that he thinks uh uh that it's that, that they paint him as untrustworthy i mean it, you can imagine a reporter or a critic taking perhaps issues with that but i also think that it's kind of broadly done but effective do you know what i mean like i don't think that bugs ever feels like a despite his namesake being a bunny perhaps i don't find him cartoonish i didn't think he seemed outside of the plausibility of the world that had been created. But in the end, he says, uh, Roberts, uh, sorry, Robbins has arranged from the endearing baseball rookie in Bull Durham to the cold Hollywood executive in The Player. And here he uses his very attractiveness, his open nature, his sunny smile to show the hazards of choosing political candidates on the basis of their ability to make us feel comfortable. I think there's something to that. But what do you think about all that, Emily? I think, um, I, I think... I think the bug stuff, it does kind of let the movie down in the end. I The scenes where he's sort of ranting about the military industrial complex and yeah. drawing these complex connections yeah. are just like, I don't know that he's wrong. You know, like, I don't know that he's incorrect. It's just he's pulling on so many enormous threads yeah. in a way that kind of doesn't suit the smallness of the movie. Um, and at the same time, I also am sort of like, this is a reminder that conspiracy theorizing was in the 90s, kind of like in this fringe space that was equally on the libertarian left yep. and libertarian right. Yep. And like, you know, X-Files comes out of that same space, JFK, all these yep. things are playing in that arena. And it's just harder to watch now, knowing that what that would become, like, I yep. really like... I've written a book about the fucking X-Files and I really struggle with that show sometimes because, you know, this kind of paranoia became QAnon, became all these things. So I don't think Bugs is like 
I don't, I'm not holding Q, Tim Robbins responsible for QAnon though. Wouldn't it be funny if he was Q? <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it is this thing that is more disquieting now than it would have been then. Yeah. Yeah. What do we, what do you think, Ryan? Well, I also think that in, in parallel to, to what Emily just said, I think the movie exposes sort of a change in the nature of how media operated which was deregulated during the reagan years yes the point that by the time you got to this particular point um the the radio waves were saturated with rush limbaugh's all throughout the country and that played every morning forevermore uh on radio and that of course led to sort of you know the building blocks of fox news and how that became the new way that you could indoctrinate people over the course of to the point that they will openly and forevermore vote against their own best interests because they've been indoctrinated what this movie i think brilliantly does in addition to that uh which is so good i mean i have to say i i know that this movie may come off as a little like lefty and you know there's something now look at you look at this and it feels quaint with all of these but really i think that when you think back to 1992 this is a kind of an ancient time where uh hollywood could rally around sort of these ideas and make complex films with these i mean jfk is an incredible movie and i am no you know i love it uh, i I am i'm not a a sort of purveyor of Oliver Stone's work anymore, but I cannot deny the power of the editing, just the editing alone of, of JFK. And then you take in the cast, how it drops in these little funny Hollywood, big actor moments in these tiny little parts. And it really just starts to seep in that this is a movie that's sort of trying to do something big with something small. And I think that that's sort of what Bob Roberts it, it doesn't encapsulate a time where you could do that, where a person like Tim Robbins, who I actually consider uh, one of our great artists, one of our great unsung artists. I mean, uh, if you've been to Culver City and you go to the Actors Gang, which is his theater company, it is some of the most brilliant theater work I've ever seen. I continue totally. to go to see it. And I think it seeps into a, a, a work like this, which I think in a way is very small, very theatrical, very uh, Robert Altman-y, which again, in oh, yeah. that time period, he's doing shortcuts. He's doing the player. He's working with a great and learning a sort of part of the medium and a way to tell a story that's completely different than anybody that was doing it at that time. It oh, doesn't all I mean, it doesn't all work. You know, I'm not going to argue that it all works, but I do think that the more and more that the movie kind of lives and breathes with me over the decades, all of that stuff. I mean, really, the the last 10 minutes, I mean, the, the Washington Memorial or, or the Lincoln Memorial part is just so fuck. Oh, my God. Uh, it, I, it's I mean, speaking it's scary, it's, it's scary. You talking about like the bench of actors. The irony, of course, is that like this has a deep bench of actors. It's just they're all their basically first roles or some of their first roles, right? right. I mean, Alan Rickman, obviously not his first role, but Peter Gallagher, James Spader, Jack Black's first performance, Helen Hunt, all these people, just Harry Lennox, they all just kind of like pop up in these various roles throughout this movie that really do give you, as you're talking about, like that legitimacy right like all of a sudden it starts to feel as though you're starting to realize just how many splendid actors are in this thing and they're all they all know what movie they're in that's the other thing that you sometimes risk when you do stuff like this where you never you know if you don't modulate the performances properly or what have you they all can kind of feel like they're in different movies Mm -hmm. um which 
Uh, some people would say Oliver Stone is a purveyor of from time to time. Sure. Um, so I, I do think that is interesting. I mean, but sorry, just just, yeah. to, just to cap off my point, all of these little cameos, they all play media figures who are in the tank for Bob. That's kind of the fun irony of the movie. It's part of the comedy. It's part of the tapestry of it. And Esposito, that character, is the really one quote-unquote journalist who is actually seeking the truth. And so I, f- I find that sort of like irony, the hypocrisy of the media, even at this time, and it, it really kind of makes um, – makes it all that much more poisonous throw in the fact that he's you know a musician and he uses folk music and literally like rewrites of bob dylan songs to kind of you know send these messages out but i i really think that this movie kind of is so uh as jack black says in the movie pro prophetic <laughs> i i do think i mean <laughs> i do feel like prophetic. there is you know to, to to piggyback on what you're saying here because i think that the thing that that disturbs me the most about the landscape that we're in right now is um the the truth is muddy this idea that like the right has successfully kind of rounded the edges off what is truth and has made everything so kind of malleable and what's interesting about this movie too is by using the songs as the conveyor belt of lies it it there is something to that idea of people thinking like music and artists and what have you, like it, it all kind of feels a little bit easier to digest and you're willing to kind of swallow these lies and make it all feel like it, it just goes down a little easier that way. And that's really, really dangerous. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, as you're, as you were saying now, we're, you know, it's, it's, it's all lies. They're just spewing lies just straight up on television and people are just eating them up with a spoon. But um, this, so are, are you guys are you both seen wag the dog i'm assuming right <laughs> totally which i've watched relatively recently and i still think wag the dog is good and it is funny um but something is kind of i don't I, I, emily i feel like you'll probably speak more intelligently to this than i will just in terms of like in terms of the the media component of it right yeah. and this idea mm-hmm. of of how a story is spun and and how that stuff can be manipulated. This isn't really so much a, like this movie isn't a media movie as much as I feel like wag the dog is to some degree. No. And I think that what I think that the, one of the reasons that the bugs element just doesn't land for me is this movie has an amazing satire of the media, just in the various talking heads, the various morning news show hosts, et cetera, who are not explicitly pro Bob Roberts. We even see Lynn Thigpen chief, from who, where, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Always love to see her pop up. We even see her She's be so like, good in this. yeah, we even see her be like, I think you're, you know, a piece of shit. And then she turns to camera and smiles and was like, we're here with Bob Roberts. And it's like, that to me is a much stronger statement on media on the, on journalism, on the fact that like, it's so easily manipulated by yeah. someone who has personality because I'm just going to, I think Gore Vidal is maybe not the world's most charismatic figure in this film. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's not a lot of, he's, he's, he'll pop up and talk for five minutes about the military industrial complex. And you're like, this is all very good. And it's to, it's to the point that the film is making. But um, Ryan, you mentioned earlier that Tim Robbins was working with Altman a lot around this time. 
And like that made me realize that one of the things I'm kind of having friction with in this movie is I love Tanner 88, um, which is like, I feel like a big uh, template for this movie. But yeah, I think, I think that anytime a, and this may be because I'm in the media, I think that anytime a movie or a TV show like this tries to do storytelling about news reporting, you kind of need to make that the focus or it needs to be like a fun element on the side. And every time it takes over this movie, it feels a little clunky to me. And similarly, I, I felt that way about Wag the Dog, but I haven't seen that in many years. So maybe I'd watch it now and be like, brilliant. I think the thing about Wag the Dog, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Ryan. The thing about Wag the Dog, um, hopefully this tees up something for you too, is that that movie is also a Hollywood satire. Like that, half that movie is is mocking yeah. Dustin Hoffman, who's essentially doing a... a bob evans impression so like there's this you know there's and it's part of the movie obviously which is like the idea of hollywood and the news and these two things that are kind of merging into one another and why that's a problem and and turning news into um entertainment no good very bad don't do it and here we are so i do think that that notion in wag the dog i think is interesting and I think it's more successful at that than this movie is at merging those two ideas of, of sort of, you know, I, I love all of the, the, the music component of this is actually really funny. I love the music videos. I think that all of his songs are terrifyingly entertaining, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, and I can see why <laughs> Ebert and, and you to some extent, Emily have zoned in on buzz bugs as the problem. Um, I th- I don't know that it's the performance. I think it's in the writing. I think it's in just sort of like smoothing over the edges and making him fold into the narrative a little bit more. I think I think, and I w- I want to let Ryan talk, but I think that what is interesting is we they, we have the framing device of journalism yeah. already. This is presented as a BBC documentary of some kind, and in the United States, BBC is shorthand for like fair journalism or whatever. And we see the arc of the journalist, like, losing faith. We see the moment when they capture Bob Roberts' cruelty. We see all these things. You kind of don't need the added element, for me at least. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. There's also just the hunkering element that this is his first movie. You Mm -hmm. have to kind of have a story. And I do think, you know, if you're going to do it, there's this sort of allegorical, symbolic nature to Bugs. Uh, he is again a man of color. He is blamed for the assassination yeah. attempt. Yep. Uh, he is then, you know, sacrificed at the altar, and and that's it. You know, and his arc is sad and and disturbing if you kind of look at it without the movie. You know, if you just kind of look at it on paper, it doesn't quite work out. But that's sort of the nature to me. I think there's also something about this movie that we talked about it when we talked about in the loop that satire is such a strange genre it is such a strange device that i think doesn't necessarily always work and i think a lot of the nature of satire is throwing the spaghetti at the wall and just seeing and hoping what sticks mm-hmm. what i love about this movie in contrast to say a, to say a, to say a, that is can you hear me did i just knock out yeah your your mic i think went went okay. weird sorry, oh, no, sorry. that's fine that's fine okay yeah. Yeah. Um, the difference to me of Wag the Dog and a movie like that, that kind of has Dr. Strangelove vibes. Yeah. We are on a, op- we're operating on a global level here. What I love about Bob Roberts is mm-hmm. your movie, I think, or, or Robert Drew. 
K as he's winning his primary on the way to his, um, sure. you know, his ascendancy. And this I sort of think is that it's a Pennsylvania story. It's a, it's a Senate story. It's a guy running for Senator. And I think that there's something so kind of simple and basic in terms of how state uh, politics works. I love the Lin, Lin Thigpen uh, interview mostly because she cannot contain herself. She cannot sense. fucking contain her contempt and her cynicism and her anger towards him and, and the bullshit that he is throwing at people. And she will not be a part of it to the point that she literally flips the fuck out and walks off to the point that, again, the only real journalist in this movie that's trying to find an objective truth is is bugs <laughs> and it is you're right it is total like sort of we look at it now like it's MAGA but at that time you know you did have the savings and loan scandal you did have Iran Contra three or four years earlier if Iran Contra came out today this would fucking populate uh the news all the time constantly at that time they fucking found a way to bury it they found a way to ronald reagan was not not part of it and oliver north you know it's fascinating when you compare these massive things at that time to where we are now it's so much more embedded in the history of vietnam than it is in uh you know afghanistan and and iraq and all those uh, sad stories. Um, so it's such an interesting to me. I think that this movie is a bit of a time capsule, but I like it for that because I think we can learn from our history, and I think it's a time in in our history that we don't really think about all that much. So many changes happened right around then, and I think Tim Robbins had his finger on the pulse, maybe more than anybody, in terms of where we were headed, at least at that time. Um, so it's it's yeah. such an interesting film in that way, and I just like it. You know, I'm a sucker for a musical of any ilk, and the fucking music in this is ridiculously good. I mean, him and his brother wrote all the songs, um, and they are they are good bluegrass songs. Like the like it, it, they're not stupid. They're not like bad songs. I mean, even the rap is kind of hooky. Kind of fucking fun. <laughs> I love the uh, the the who is that singer that used those ladies like that oh uh yeah robert robert palmer, palmer. Yeah, yeah he's got like the palmer i love the robert palmer in the back and he's doing the Amazing. 60s dylan i mean it's just it's so fucking brilliant in its own yeah. like you know self-congratulatory way <laughs> oh for sure but, but i love it like, for that i love you, it for that you look like you have something to say oh no i was listening to my child uh cry. Oh, cool, cool. no no i actually i actually do like i am interested in uh, you know, Tim Robbins not releasing a soundtrack to this, which I think was a smart move because there is this dangerous thing about satire, which is um, I did I did a lot of research for an episode of my old podcast primetime that was never actually produced about Saturday Night Live and how it presents the American president. Sure. And for the most part, Saturday Night Live serves to humanize the president, like people who were exposed to Will Ferrell's George W. Bush ended up having a more favorable view on George W. Bush himself. Right. Like there is this thing about satire that in taking the teeth out of something, it makes it more palatable. Like there have been similar studies. Yeah, there's been similar studies done on um, some things like the producers and so on and so forth, where we have this conventional wisdom that like we laugh at this thing and that makes it takes away some of its power, but it also grants it a weird power. And like 
I think Bob Roberts kind of avoids that in a weird way. And I think some of it is because you can't get these songs anywhere. And some of it is you can't watch this movie at any time. But I do think, I do think that like the conspiracy angle for as much as I don't think it works as storytelling, lets the movie have this sort of such a wide view of things. And that's kind of the thing about like, if you are a critic of American society, which has many things wrong with it, you suddenly just start criticizing everything and it feels starts to feel hopeless and impossible to fix. And kind of, I think that I, that ending with bugs like gets at that in certain ways. So I, I do think that like, there is this thing of, um, you know, one of the things about the Trump administration was there was a new scandal every day. And so they all just kind of like Blame. disappeared yeah. when everything is bad. You kind of can't fix anything because it starts to feel hopeless. And I do think the conspiracy thriller angle of this movie gets at that in a weird way that keeps it from humanizing a figure like Bob Roberts in the way that, you know, like Saturday Night Live would. And Saturday Night Live is in this movie. So. Kind of. I mean, I, I want to sort of... you guys It started said- as a Saturday Night Live uh, character yeah. originally yeah. yeah and listen bob balaban is lauren michaels not actually lauren michaels but, but that's perfect kind of casting that's yeah. perfect so casting. Funny. i you know it's funny as you guys were talking i was thinking about you know um the the, the idea of charisma you know mm-hmm. as we speak right now not to not to date this but uh you know joe biden is doing his his uh, state of the union address as we speak and you know his 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 approval numbers are low and I don't think it's because of anything outside of the fact that people just aren't excited by Joe Biden. Like, I think that when he talks, he sounds old. When people see him, he looks old. And there is this idea of that being the most important thing to some degree or another in terms of the charisma, in terms of the excitement, all of these things. And I look at Bob Roberts in this film, who is a very charismatic guy, who who has this mixture of like, aw shucks, kind of Americana mixed with fencing. And like, <laughs> the fencing's fucking hilarious because there's nothing, nothing more uh, red state than fencing. <laughs> I love the bus driver. That's all fencing. Right. Like, I'm always but late like, because of the fucking fencing. <laughs> but it made me think of when I first pressed play on the film, I couldn't help but think of Norval Barnes from Hotsucker Proxy, obviously mm-hmm. played by Tim Robbins as well. And that kind of, you know, winning sweetness that Tim Robbins can radiate really, really well. Right now, Norval Barnes is, you know, obviously an idiot and and that's part of the movie right he's like he's he's a buffoon right and this movie to me felt like what if uh what if norval barnes was a bit right but underneath that was just a deeply calculating political figure who weaponizes norval barnes right like what if norval is just like you know a, a, a host that he's wearing essentially and i think that's really interesting I think the idea of sort of, you know, we've we've seen the weaponization of so many things politically in this country over the last, you know, six to 10 years. But that idea of, you know, I, I, often they talk about, um, oh my God, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, the Ohio senator who, uh, uh, Sherrod Brown, right? Sherrod Brown's this guy who, you know, 
continues to succeed in Ohio, which is essentially basically a red state, but there's like this one Democrat that can kind of hack it because he's got this like rusty voice and he looks like a guy who's like a union buster. And it's like, and, and I'm not saying that that's fake, but I just think that there's something really interesting about how you can kind of play that stuff. And this movie is very much about that, mm-hmm. how you can kind of get into, into people's hearts and then destroy them from the inside, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Um, I, I So I do think that it's worth talking for a second just about how this was a hard movie to get made. Uh, it didn't have a big budget, as you can imagine. Alan Rickman was incredibly, apparently helped fund the production and helped get a lot of these actors, which I think is great. Um, I, I think that it's interesting. Obviously, a lot of his friends are in this movie. He reached out to you know a lot of his friends and they're in it and they're all great. Um, I, I I do think that the um, the the there's a there's not really a plot to this movie per se. It's kind I mean it's it's a fly on the wall campaign movie, and I do think that obviously it's pretty dated at times. I mean they're wearing some headsets in this in this movie that are just amazingly dated. Um, I'm also straight up not convinced that they could do any of the things they're doing on that bus remotely, but like technologically <laughs> speaking, I'm not sure, sure. That they could have, but that's whatever. Um, what did you think of the look of this movie, Emily? What did you think of like the, the, the mockumentary thing? Well, we watched it on DVD, uh-huh. which I had forgotten is in 640 by 480p. So like, I was like watching it it's shrunk down and it's wonderful. It's beautiful. I think this movie, um, obviously, Tim Robbins studied at the feet of Spinal Tap, was like, if I'm an actor wanting to make my first movie, mockumentary is yeah. a pretty easy way to do it. I think the um, the filmmaking's good. I think the camera shot, the shots are especially like, and yet there's something about the way that it's doing verite mashed up with kind of more traditional talking head that kind of like if I'm, I'm I'm always when I watch one of these being like what is the in universe documentary yeah. version of this, I don't entirely know, but I don't think it ma- like it doesn't matter like we get the shots we need to get, but there's like a lot of tracking shots like that one that goes all around the ballroom, um, and finally ends up focused on on Bob's foot tapping even though he's supposedly paralyzed, paralyzed. and like it's it's a it's a gorgeous shot. And I'm not sure to what end, but that's a that's a problem a lot of like first time directors sure. have, you know. Can I ask a question? You mentioned the tapping foot, and I'm curious as to what you guys think of this because I couldn't. Are I guess my question to you guys is: Are we supposed to believe that the assassination attempt was staged and that it didn't really happen, or it happened but he wasn't as injured as he said he was, in order to get public sympathy? Because the staging of an assassination attempt is an elaborate thing to pull off. And they kind of yada yada that. I'm not sure that you can yada yada that. (laughs) Totally. I mean, again, like this movie kind of escalates to a point of absurdity. And I think that is that point. But I do think the whole idea was that, yes, it was all staged so that he turns into FDR. (laughs) I am. And eventually makes it to the presidency. I'm a Bob Roberts truther, and I think <laughs> that he was not actually shot. It was staged. I do think it plays into this movie's conspiracy bent that if it is staged, like, okay. you know, if everybody, but yeah, it is like, it is a reach. And also you have to get some doctors in on it. Yeah. I, 
I do wonder like if it was a thing where like he was actually shot a little bit and then they faked paralysis somehow, but maybe they have doctors on the take. I don't know. That's uh, it's that could that it's I I've seen the X-Files. It happens all the time. I mean, there are things about this movie that I do think are um, fantastic from the get go. I mean, first of all, we can all thank God that the right has never actually garnished the power of good music enough to use it as a campaign tool. <laughs> they have never been able to, you know, be like make good music, period. Like, honest to God, like, yes, there's country music out there and it is quite popular. And sadly that has become more of a thing over the past 15 years. But I mean, I've never seen anything. No one's ever seen anything like this. This is a whole different level of absurdity. And you're totally right. I believe I think about that a lot too, in terms of this BBC documentary that has crane shots that are, looks like the last waltz. It looks (laughs) like they're trying to do the last waltz. Uh, And it's so brilliant because then it's like, you know, fly on the wall and it's over the shoulder, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. camera work. It's just, and his camera team was, uh, Altman's ca- camera team who lent him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it was the same people, the same team. And they, you know, you can see how getting them is such a boon for a, mo- for a movie like this, where you really want to kind of run and gun, make a movie like on the fly. We're out, you know, driving and now we're going to kind of make a concert. Like you could see that Altman and his team would be the best oh, people totally. to be adaptable at any given moment. So. Emily, I'm making you a T-shirt that says I'm a Bob Roberts truther, just for what it's worth. I hope that you uh, – it'll, it'll be cute, though. Don't worry. I You'll will like wear it. it. I will – will you – can it be pink? That'll Absolutely. be great. Absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Good. <laughs> we'll be selling them on our website. Um, <laughs> right next to our tribute album right featuring – featuring featuring all of the music and some of our favorite bands yeah, performing. It's just, just going to be SD Heim covering all the Bob Roberts. Drugs songs. suck. I want SD Heim singing drugs suck. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I rich. do think though, you know, it's funny cuz Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The, the movie does have kind of it's it's doing a little bit of a high wire act of tone and and I do think that uh, m- for the most part it sticks the landing but it it does get a little over its skis by the end you know when you do have the assassination attempt and I listen I get it it's I'm I'm okay with it because I do think you know you made this point earlier Ryan that there kind of is this whole sort of like oeuvre of political 
parody things, satires that exist um, for the reason, obviously, because uh, first of all, it's easy to do. It's easy to satirize politics, but it also makes it easier to, to swallow some of the just horrible you know, discourse that exists, but like it made me think of Bullworth, another political yes, satire. Thank you. Um, a, 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 <laughs> a weird movie, a movie I've not watched in a very long time, and I uh, don't know what that movie looks like through a 2023 lens. Oh, um, it's great. It's wonderful. It? No. Is it? Was that <laughs> it's, what? What year was that one? Was 90, that 98? 98. Wow. It's Crazy. um, it has not. It has aged strangely. I wouldn't say it hasn't <laughs> aged. I wouldn't say it's aged poorly. I think it's aged strangely. Right. But, it's yeah. I just I think that back in 98 it was you know obviously a joke to have Warren Beatty dressed up like you know a gangster quote unquote <laughs> and rapping but now I just as as much as it was not meant to be taken seriously then I don't know that we could even stomach it today. I just what if you heard. what if we just remade Bullworth and called it Macklemore Origins? <laughs> like that'd be great. <laughs> That's wow. I mean, listen, Bullworth is a movie that I think would be fascinating to do an episode on because I really do think it'd be one of those things where you're like, how the fuck did this get through right like how did this squeak through it's the last obviously kind of i mean i guess there's rules don't apply but like it's really the last warren Beatty movie of of any real note um and then he just kind of just drops off a cliff until he you know notoriously decided to give the uh best picture to la la land which will be the last thing that anyone remembers him for but I, i i do think that uh that movie is so heightened kind of from the jump that it's it's you're you're kind of you're giving it the rope to do what it wants to do this movie is pretty grounded for the most part in its kind of satire and then it just kind of gets just straight up wacky at the end that i'm you know it's 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 tough it's it's a tough the the assassination attempt is a is a tough pill to swallow i guess is what i'm getting at totally but it's also like jack black like i just feel like the world we're living in in bob roberts is so like so over the top from beginning to end that i mean you know it's not really meant to be believable i'm i'm curious yeah, about i'm curious about bullworth i really haven't seen that movie in 25 years and yeah. i take you at your word emily but i really am just i feel like i need to scratch that itch because i also yeah. have not heard a complete condemnation of that yeah. movie there which yeah. you would totally expect by this yes. point I mean, people, there is still so much Bullworth discourse. It's a movie people talk about all the time. Like, Well, and it is, by its very nature, uh, satire. It is satirical. 100%, and, for sure. And those oh, movies sort this, of though. operate a little outside. I mean, they're doing things that, you know, they're not trying to sincerely tell a story here. I, uh, I'll say this. It was on, I mean, fucking who knows what, some channel, I want to say like two, three years ago, pre-pandemic. It was on HBO. It was on something. Um, and I hit, you know, I, I hit it on, on the remote and we're you know halfway through and my roommate sitting next to me. And I was like, have you ever seen Bullworth? And she's like, no. We watched five minutes of it. And she just looked at me. She's like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this? And I was like, I tried to explain it to her. And the look on, I just, just literally yeah. like glazed eyes like how was this a thing that sure. and like sorkin did a rewrite on it like there's just like <laughs> it's it's one of those things that you're just like yeah there was a time when you could do this i guess yeah. is basically the answer right 
But also to take a step back, it's really yeah. quite sad that a movie as probably controversial at it, on its face as Bullworth is yeah. fucking on HBO and you can't find Bob Roberts anywhere. Like, what's yeah. that about? That's sort of – I don't know. Well, this something is a little awesome. weird about that, you know? I would I would gladly do five hours on why everyone should buy tactile media because yeah, streaming sure. is just not yours. Yeah. I anyway. did – I did look into this a little bit. It looks like there's some weird right shit because oh, really? like, there were so many different production companies involved in it. Oh, okay. that, like I'm guessing it's just very hard to clear up the rights. And also like there comes a point when people are just like, it's just not worth, <laughs> worth it to figure well, sure. out. For sure. You know. For a movie of this, of this size. I, I want to talk for a second about the Jack Black, Tim Robbins thing, because they must be friends because so they're in high fidelity again together in uh, in 1998 again I think 2000. Oh, 2000 2000 oh wow um then they do the brink that HBO show that lasted a season together which is right. a, a, another weird <laughs> political doctor strange lovian thing that was like the first HBO show i knew that got canceled after one season without wow. like even a, like there was that like yeah. tell me you love me they picked it up for season yeah. 2 and then canceled it before that aired yeah. but like that was the first time HBO was like nah no thanks no no one needs this yeah i mean it, i watched the pilot it was just again you know this stuff is tough to do there's a reason why there's only you know so many of these political things these that that actually break through and i think that when you go really broad with it people don't know what to do with it like i just i i, I mean i think about you know, Jack Nicholson in Mars Attacks. I think about all of these attempts to do the date Dr. Strangelove thing. And you just are like, this is why you don't try that. It's kind of an impossible thing to do is really ultimately what it You ever just think about how the Brink debuted the same night as Ballers and how we should do a podcast about Ballers? Like, <laughs> listen, Emily, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm game. I mean, if you want to do Ballers, we'll do Ballers. Podcast like it's Ballers. <laughs> I feel like Kenny, Kenny would like love to guest oh, on Kenny the would ballers. Love to talk ballers. <laughs> the ballers he'd, be, he'd be on in five seconds. <laughs> we like, could wait. get we could get Elizabeth Warren on. It'd be a great show. Oh my god! Can you imagine? She comes. We get her on for the finale. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> she was a huge ballers fan. Did you not know that, Ryan? She I really did was. Not know that? Yeah. Which, yeah. Which she she god. met the Rock, I believe, during her presidential run, and they talked ballers. Oh. Like she's she's a. It, I don't know. I, I have such respect for her. Such respect. I mean, I do too, but I just also feel like ballers. Okay. I mean, hey, hey, to each their own. To each their Phil, own. Phil. Uh, I don't want, listen, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yums, but I'll just say <laughs> that. Uh, Are ballers... you yucking Elizabeth Warren's yum? <laughs> I would never. I would never. Uh, I do think, though, that this movie, and the reason that I think that this film works better than the aforementioned, you know, broader political satires um is because it stays pretty grounded the, the the mockumentary thing keeps it terrestrial it doesn't kind of spin off of this planet into something kooky because it doesn't have a giant budget that's kind of the problem with a lot of these things too like something like the brink which probably had like you know a seven million dollar per episode budget and you know spending money on comedy is never a good thing um, I think the, the love guru can tell you that with its hundred million dollar budget. I mean, you can't buy laughs. Um, you know, so I, I think I, I actually think, think I could, if I think I could buy laughs, <laughs> I, I'm daring you to go buy some laughs. I think if like, I got some hundred dollar bills and went outside and gave people and just be like, Hey, if you can laugh at this joke, I'm saying, I'll give you, the, I think I could buy those laughs. I think I could. 
you're probably right you're probably right i just i i do think that um when this movie's working and i think honestly 90 percent of it works it's working because it's it's staying grounded and it's not kind of doing anything too wacky um i, I think do there's think- a yeah. I do think there's an escalation in the tone. Like it is, it's, it gets to a a kind of higher, higher place, but it grows pretty gradually. Um, For my money, like Christopher Guest, who also follows this start in a grounded place, get gradually wackier. I think he's better at it. I would love to have seen his version of this, but I definitely think it is, it is like Tim Robbins is, is, is also doing that. And I think, you know, I never sat here and thought, oh, the movie has gone too far. And I think that's to its credit that it's to use an analogy that Gore Vidal as a uh, brickly pain, brickly pain says brickly like, it, it, I, I did, I did feel like I was the frog, you know, in the water that yes. was still like, it, it, it is, it is a pretty successful escalation of tone. I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that it feels like the turning point or when it sort of really kind of, that when you start to feel that it's getting dialed up is the SNL stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got this this staffer that works at this SNL that that you know obviously is clued into the fact that this song that that Bob Roberts is about to sing is just basically a campaign ad, and she doesn't you know think that that's right, so she unplugs all the plugs. The whole place kind of goes, um, you know, uh, sideways. You've got Bob Bowden, you've got John Cusack, who doesn't even want to appear in the ads mm. with Bob Roberts. Um, is he playing John Cusack? Yes, I thought so. That's he's great. Just, he's just playing himself. Yeah, so yeah. good. It's so, great. So it's great. I mean, John Cusack and and Tim Robbins being friends makes sense. Like yes. those are two guys that I'm just like, yep, that tracks. Like, yeah, and and I do think again, just I don't want to reiterate this point too much, but this was a time when like you could wear your politics on your sleeve and it wasn't embarrassing. That yeah. like it was kind of cool to be at. I mean, this movie, yeah. the end of the credits, it as fills the screen with the word vote. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. you know, it's like. It's like the opening of... I didn't get there. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable, Emily, but it does. It does eventually. You I, know, I, I mean... mean and then there's a song yeah. in the movie that says, don't, that says don't vote. Like, don't vote. <laughs> I think that you're, you're making a really good point, Ryan, because I do feel like... And we, didn't, we haven't really unpacked this that much. This movie comes out less than two months before the presidential election. Um, you have three candidates, which some might argue is kind of the only way that Bill Clinton wins that election um, and, you know, changes politics as we know it in a lot of ways. Um, I think that I can't even, you know, we, we obviously, Emily and I, we talked about uh, George W. Bush's big cameo in Under Siege, uh, in our Under Siege episode. <laughs> Yeah, George, George, yeah, George H.W. is, uh, is, he's, he like, he's in it. He's in this movie too. He's gonna, he's he's gonna pop up on my letterboxed most watched (laughs) actors list. (laughs) But in, but in Under Siege, like, he's performing. Mm -hmm. Yes. He's he's himself, but he's still performing. So, like, Mm -hmm. there's a part of me that's just like, what a weird nexus we're in at the end of 1992 where like, you know, obviously George H.W. Bush, not the most charismatic guy in the world, obviously was sort of felt like a standard bearer of a time gone by. um, And this country, you know, wanted something new and fresh and whatever. And Bill Clinton was that thing, but 
it's just like that this movie, I, I, my guess is that, you know, Tim Robbins wants this film to come out as close to the election as possible. And it does. Um, the player comes out earlier in the year. Um, a great movie, which I'm very excited to talk about. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like, this was sort of him. This was like, Spielberg rushing the post out into the world as quickly as possible. Like I, I just I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's bizarre. Uh, yeah. Ryan, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Ryan, you don't have to tell me your age, but were you born before 1985? Perhaps. Oh yeah, much before. <laughs> okay. All right. I do wonder, like, as we're talking, about so was this, I. Right. How? Yeah. I mean, yes, myself as well. Actually, no, I'm 16. Um, as we're talking about this, uh, I'm, an Robbie, right? I'm an extremely, so I'm an extremely cinematically literate 16 year old. So um, <laughs> uh, I am, I am thinking about like how much of this, as we're talking about like the politics of the time, the lack of cynicism, how much of that is just that we were all fucking kids and like we weren't as a because like. I looked, you know, like when I looked back on stuff for the the podcast again that I, I mentioned, like at the time, there were always people who were like, well, your vote doesn't count. Nothing happens if you vote. Like the cynicism yes. in the American political process is kind of like baked in from Nixon on. Like Watergate kind of broke something yep. in a lot of people. And like I'm, I am fascinated by because I was thinking about your point, Ryan, I was like, when does that change? And I thought South Park, you know, but then you look back at early SNL and it's not that different from South Park. It's just a slightly different time. So I am sort of fascinated in this question. I'm fascinated by this question as a meta narrative about this podcast, the, to the degree to which our nostalgia, our memory of this time is clouded by the fact that we were so young. And like, so we're reading that into these movies as we watch them. Cause yeah, I was like, I was, when you said that it was a less, you know, cynical time i was like of course it was and now i'm like but was it or was i just like fucking you know i wasn't born yet because i'm 16 but you know what i mean sure no. sure I and i i think that ahead, i guess i you're, i take your point completely and i think that uh it may have been a less cynical time because i'm a kid it also might be less cynical time just in terms of hollywood in general and and those are debatable points what i do think is something that's kind of not debatable is that a movie like this doesn't get made now and i think for young people of our time they're not yeah at all there's no influence on them whatsoever except tiktok videos and uh you know and snl openings maybe you know i'm just simply saying that these types of movies just were from such an era where they were uh allowed to be bankrolled to some degree and people sort of accepted them and they were made. And I think a movie like this really becomes something to be talked about over time. I mean, at the time it just doesn't really matter, but a movie like this 20 years later, I mean, we all definitely agreed this movie is extremely prescient to I where guess, we are at now. And I, guess, I don't see that happening now. You know, I, I guess Adam McKay is the guy kind of working in this vein right now. And like, he has to get so over obvious to like well he's really yeah extremely. i think he thinks he's oliver stone for our generation like i think he thinks that it's his job to quote unquote educate through his films to some degree or another i i i, I gotta be honest adam i feel like i 
sort of off of Adam McKay now. Like I, I don't I don't I don't want to say that like unilaterally, but the last two films of his I really didn't like. I wa- I walked out of Vice and was like, that was a masterpiece. And my wife was like, that is a horrible piece of shit. What are you talking? <laughs> I have never rewatched it because I know how much I will judge the me of late 2018 <laughs> who saw it at a press screening and was like, bra fucking vo Adam McKay, you did it. Oscars all around. And then my wife, the instant my wife was like, that movie was bad. I was like, oh no, it must've been bad. (laughs) (laughs) But I I mean, you're not wrong though, that, that he is, I think he is kind of the guy right now to some degree or another. He's certainly outspoken about it, but to sort of answer your bigger question, Emily, about like 92 versus now politically and jadedness and all of that. um, I just think that right now we're so, um available there is so many ways for things to get at us that we are inundated unless you know we're one of the the, quite frankly the smarter people in the world that you know don't aren't on their phones all the time or aren't watching cable news or whatever the case might be i just don't think in 92 it was that much of a just a torrent of stuff coming at you that you probably could not be as politically activated if that makes sense i i mean i i think that's absolutely true um i also yeah like it it was there was really no internet there were so few tv channels you know cnn was kind of the one 24-hour news channel at the time i like i'm thinking about okay so a big news event that happened recently as we're recording this is the chinese spy balloon and like that is a really nice like nugget for like a movie satire but by the time a movie came out, you know, that was playing off of that, it'd be three years later, everyone would have forgotten the Chinese spy balloon. They'd be like, what the fuck is this about? Because as that happened, we like constructed 17 layers of meta narrative around it in real time on social media. Yeah. I think, yeah, you can't like, I think you can't bankroll movies like this anymore because Hollywood is and all indie film producers are so much worse about taking risks. But I also think like, it's really hard to make something like this because you know, we're 17 layers removed from it 12 hours after it happens. You can't, you can't make it fast enough. But I mean, what makes guys... this movie, on the other hand, I do think that what makes this movie actually kind of timeless is that we can all – this is not simply an American story. It is such a very mm-hmm. uh, simple one in terms of preaching moral values and preaching the higher ground and yes. preaching, you know, fundamentalism in a lot of ways oh, yeah. and expecting – and getting results that will allow people, again, to either vote against their interests or not vote at all. And that narrative is timeless. I hate to say it. It's it's not no, something I, I wish. I agree. 100%. But when I watch Face in the Crowd, a movie from 1962, I believe. I mean, mm. that Bob Roberts, Donald Trump, all the same. I mean, throw in GW sure. in there and you've got it. And like you see it all the time with people running. I mean, even dumber than those guys. Like far dumber you know running and winning uh on that side of the aisle specifically on that side of the aisle it's really hard to ignore the fact that a movie like this literally prophesizes the future for the next 35 years and i think that when we look back on this when you look back on facing the crowd when you look back on dr strange love these are things that sadly are not going to go away anytime soon. Adam McKay's movies about a fucking like one corrupt, you know, uh, presidency. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket. It's it it feels it feels um, insulting because it's so like 
obvious. Yeah. We're looking for complexity. We're looking for an illustration of yeah. a picture that is un you know, we're looking for art, frankly. I mean, in 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 in, in, in a sure. genre like this, we're looking for an artistic statement, not necessarily a political one. And, and as we all as we all know, Vice is an extremely artistic statement. One of the best movies ever made. Like, please continue. <laughs> I, I do want to say, though, to your point, because, like, I keep thinking about Network as well, just talking about, right. of, you know, which is also another obviously incredibly prescient uh, film about network television, about the news, about all that kind of stuff. That movie still holds up today. It's obviously a masterpiece, um, you know, terrifyingly prescient as well. But I, I, I do think that sort of, you know this this i was thinking about like the 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 inundated with the constant news that we have today and whether or not that actually um i mean it's obviously worse but are we more informed no. i mean no <laughs> no you know okay let me let me rephrase no. the question emily can no. we be more informed not no we, can we <laughs> I mean, yes. I think you don't think if you're if you really try, you can be. I think if you spend all of your time, or if you are a subject matter expert, yeah, yes, sure. Um, I mean, I spent a lot of the last year getting super well versed in medicine for trans people mm -hmm. because there's a lot of attacks on, um, you know, on on trans youths, whatever. The thing is, there's a bunch of people who are like medicine for trans kids is irresponsible blah 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 and like they have studies that support what they say they're not good studies if you dig down into the data you find that they have you know they're not very they don't have a lot of cases supporting them or they're you know they've been haven't been peer reviewed in the way you'd want but they exist yeah they, we have access to so much information now that it is hard to tell what is good information and what is bad information right. unless you are someone who spends a lot of time pouring through all of it and you can only do that for a couple of things at a time i'm going to sit here and tell you i think climate change is a huge issue that we need to deal more with i'm not an expert i haven't i just like listen to people who are and assume they know what they're talking right, about right. so i think i think that in an environment like ours it becomes so much easier to um, um ryan was talking about how bob roberts is not an american story and i just read a thing today about how across europe this kind of like culture war like woke CRT and all of that bullshit and certainly yeah. trans issues across Europe is becoming a thing. American culture war is getting exported because it's easy and it makes headlines and it's like emotionally satisfying. And like Bob Roberts lies about everything, but the emotions he speaks to are true. They're this, they're this, the fucking thing we're talking about, the desire to be 12 again and not have to think about any of this and just assume the world is great is what, all of this movement, all of these movements, these uh, reactionary conservative movements sure. are selling is this idea that you can go back to a time when everything's okay. And like, uh, I think that one of the smart things about using folk music to say, make the songs here is that it is this form that has its roots in ancient, ancient, ancient song forms. Mm -hmm. And now it's being used to sell this terrible, terrible message because it's about wanting to go back to a time that is feels more pure to us on some level that never existed. And yet, well, that's, I mean, that's also you know, part of the Donald Trump handbook is why can't we go back to the fifties when, you know, uh, 
minorities and women were disenfranchised and being a white man was the best thing in the world and you know all that nonsense i i do think that i i agree with everything you're saying emily um i i would i would just if i'm gonna parse one thing out or sort of carve out one little thing i i do think <laughs> that um i do think that um if you really do work for it, and I don't think I am, and I don't think most people are, which is the problem, <laughs> I do think that there is more information at our fingertips yes. than there has been ever before. The problem with that, of course, is information is in quotation marks <laughs> because you know, you've got a whole bunch of people on the right claiming that this is true and this isn't true and, and, and just making everything muddy that it's incredibly hard to parse through all of that. You know, I think back in the day of 1992, when you're a Bob Roberts, you know, the, the, the brilliance, as you mentioned of this movie is that a pop song or a folk pop song or whatever is, is such a perfect way to disseminate your message through the airwaves at a time when you did not have TikTok and you did not have the internet, you didn't have these things. So if you've got a hit song, you know, drugs suck all about how, you know, crack is a ghetto drug or whatever the case might be. Um, yeah. I'm sure that it would spread like wildfire. I think that, I think there's, I think there's something brilliant to that, you know, terrifying and, and obviously dangerous, but brilliant nonetheless. I just want to spin off of that and ask both of you a question. Yeah. Should I get on housewife TikTok? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, so I do want to kind of, as we're sort of wrapping this up, I'll just say that um, we mentioned the assassination attempt. David Strathairn shows up. One of our greatest actors. Yep. Hero. Hero he, David Strathairn. Always a hero. Um, David Strathairn should be in everything. Obviously he plays Gus's or Bugs's uh, defense attorney. Um perfect casting perfect casting of like a leftist you know probably pro bono lawyer who's just fighting for the little guy you're just like when yeah, i first. when i see david strathairn i know some shit's gonna go down <laughs> i love when he pops up in anything i'm just I like agree. oh oh shit it's it's about to get it's about to happen. wait till wait till he pops up in sneakers have you seen oh. sneakers emily no oh, sneakers is no. so good sneakers is I, great and he's i am excited i'm excited to see it yeah. Uh, although I've heard it is problematic in certain ways because oh, David Strathairn's in it. I don't know. <laughs> that's what I've heard. I, I haven't seen I'm trying to think of something that's probably, I'm sure there's some jokes in it that are probably 1992 jokes that are questionable, yeah. but, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a really fun movie. You know, it's really, I'll say one thing just generally about 92 that I found really interesting, Ryan, and, and obviously to you too, Emily, as I've disseminated out to our guests, the lists and the, this and that the movies that people gravitate towards are not the movies you would think. Like I, 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 I the amount of people that have asked for sneakers, for instance, a movie that was, you know, successful-ish back in 92 yeah. is now like every, I, I think it's because, and it's kind of what we talked about a little bit on A Few Good Men, Emily, movies that play on TNT, movies that play constantly on cable that our parents were watching. It feels like a parent's movie that you can also watch with the kids. And it just, it does feel like it kind of got burned into our brains through video store and cable TV culture that that's and, and these a lot of like cutting edge people oh, everyone wants a cutting edge like these movies that you just that were not big deals back in the day i yeah. I, I still have yet to have a person ask for unforgiven the best picture winner of 1992 nah. 
I know how you feel about Unforgiven, but but do you know what I'm saying? I just think it's interesting. And yeah. I wonder if part of this is generational. I'm sure it is to some degree as to the ages of the people that I'm asking. But still, I'm just amazed at like what's getting people from mm. 92. I think, it's an, I think it's an abundance of riches, frankly. I think that also, like, you had – 92 is a good time for the movie star. Like, there were just yes. so many great actors slash movie stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even when you're watching this movie, you're like, oh, my God, fucking James Spader's in it for 30 seconds. Spader, who we now look at like, oh, my God, like, Spader's one of our greats. <laughs> that time, like, he's just that weird sexy guy that's in, like, yes. Sex Lies, and he's yeah. really good. You like him in things, but you don't kind of consider him. But I agree. All of these movies it, that you're mentioning, they are littered with fucking like great people that you want to work with. Yeah. Or that you want to watch. Okay. I mean, well, I mean, listen, we got two big Tom Cruise movies, We've, you know, a burgeoning Brad Pitt. Uh, you know, you're not wrong that, you know, obviously Denzel's arguably one of his best performances in Malcolm X. Like, I, I do think that there are these big movie star movies. I'm, I don't mean to take th- that away. I'm just surprised by what has stuck. I guess, sure, right? Like, sure. you know, Emily, when we were talking to Esty, Newsies, a movie that mm-hmm. made like no impact in 92, was kind of right. trashed by critics. There was like a beleaguered kind of Broadway show that ran for a few years. If I'm right, Emily, you know Broadway better than I do, but There's it was on Broadway. Bro- yeah, there was a Broadway show that did pretty well. Right. Um, it's why Alan Menken has an EGOT. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, but it's just yeah. interesting. It, it, yeah. th- these movies are the movies that like kids or or teenagers were exposed to um that stuck i don't know how else to say it other than that i think that that's really interesting um but this movie you know tim robbins becomes and i would i mean tim robbins is still a guy right like i think that people know who tim robbins is still don't you think Emily? he hasn't he hasn't made anything in a while i went and looked him up yeah, um he was in he, he i mean he was in a season of castle rock in 2019 and like marjorie oh, wow. prime on amazon yeah He's like, hasn't, he just isn't acting as much anymore. He Uh didn't make a film after Cradle Will Rock other than he's made a couple of, he made a a film stage play and he made a documentary, both of which are about Commedia dell'arte and him, you know, taking Commedia dell'arte out to the people. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, he's kind of, he's kind of out in the wilderness now. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. He's, he's, it's, it's, he can fucking retire. He's Tim Robbins. He can go do whatever he wants, but yeah, he's, he's just not around as much. He did a pilot for Showtime. I want to say like probably about 10 or 12 years ago, it was called Mm -hmm. possible side effects, which was about a family that ran a pharmaceutical company, which I stand by is a great idea for a television show. Um, It had a great cast. Um, It it just ultimately, I think, I mean, I don't want to say it was poorly directed, but like it didn't have the sheen that they probably wanted or there, who knows? There's any number of reasons why it didn't that's go. That's that. Yeah. That's that period when both HBO and Showtime are trying to do, here's a rich yes. family that secretly controls the world and they kind they don't nail it until succession. And then succession is now the only show that yeah. people will associate that with. So, well, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's exactly that Emily, because there's two HBO pilots, notoriously, you've got the corrections and you have um, uh, a miraculous year, I believe is what it was. It called. was the Catherine Bigelow, the Catherine one. Bigelow yeah. one, which is about a, a Broadway family, a rich Broadway family. Like you're, you're so right that like, they were trying to find that drama that they could find of a family business of rich, most likely white people. And anyway, he did possible side effects and it's a good pilot. And I remember liking it. And I remember conceptually thinking, this is a show. Someone should do this show. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's like 
he's probably just rich and doesn't care about anyone. You know who directed the succession pilot and figured this all out? American genius Adam McKay, director of Vice. <laughs> masterpiece. Of Vice, a masterpiece. Um, so, uh, Can I just say movie... one thing, though, about Tim Please? Robbins uh, yes. in, uh, yes. in the early 90s? Because mm-hmm. I think that, like, you know, he's in Bull Durham. Yes. Huge, huge hit. Big, yes. de- big deal. And he's he does the player and this at the same time. And I kind of think that he's forced to do Bob Roberts. He wanted to find somebody else to be Bob Roberts, but they were like, yep. no, 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 you, you're going to play Bob Roberts. And you, yep. we all know that's, that's a, that's a much more difficult task for a, a first time director to have to absolutely pick yourself in. But I really think that no one else could have played it as well. I think there's I agree. a beautiful, like innocence to his face and to his expression. He's also a big, tall lumbering man mm-hmm. uh, with kind of this baby face. And I think there's always this like mischievous quality to him that kind of is smarter than you think he's going to be. And it's, it's speaks to your point about Hudsucker proxy. I think that it, this is a subversive part of that. Uh, I recently watched against Steven Spielberg's uh, war of the worlds and he plays an in incredible part in that. Like he is, that. it's in that same vein of like, he, he's a little unhinged and he plays it so well. And yet at the same time, you really do want to like him. You want, well, you want him to, to succeed. And I think that that's that's a type of actor that you just don't really find anymore. And I think it really boils down to how how deeply connected he is to being an actor, which goes back to that theater, which is really where I think he puts all of his bread and butter in these days. I think I have no doubt, you know, and I I also think it's worth noting that everything you're talking about speaks to his performance in the Shawshank Redemption as well. Right. I mean, this is a movie that obviously has lived large uh in our generation because it's a great movie um it's It's pretty good you you don't like it i think it's fine i like i do like it i just uh i think i've seen it too many times yeah but listen it's i get speaking Mm -hmm. of dad movies that play on fucking television continually it's it is on tv every day Mm -hmm. um i still think it is a good movie i still think he's great in it for all the reasons that you just underlined ryan in terms of like every man mischievous Maybe he murdered somebody. What's going on with this guy? Like he can right. do all those things. And yet you also really like him because he feels like a guy next door. It, it's, it is pretty, pretty impressive what he's in. One of the, one of the things I think is often forgotten about Tim Robbins is he's a snack. He is good looking dude. Good looking dude. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I think that I'd like Tim Robbins back. I, this is if, if if you're listening to him, go go do something. Like, let's have him on the show. Let's have him on the let's show. Have, let's have him on our tribute album of Bob Roberts. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, listen, I would love to get Tim Robbins to talk about 1992, but I do think that like he's an interesting guy. He's had an interesting career, and I th- I'd like to see a third act. It, it seems odd that he's not odd, but it's maybe it's a choice. I don't know, but I think he's supremely talented. He's got a really interesting career. Tim Robbins. Tim, if you want to come on the show, Beethoven is still available. Beethoven you can come talk about <laughs> Beethoven. Mighty Ducks is still up for the taking if you want it. It's yours. Uh, but yeah, I listen, uh, you know, Ryan, obviously, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Let's rate this always, as, we, as we wrap this up. Um, I had obviously had never seen this film before this podcast, coming into this podcast. I was at an 82. Um, I, you know, I think I might I go up a little bit to like an 84. I, I think that this movie is really good. Um, 
I have my issues with, as I mentioned, the assassination attempt, but like, I, I do think that it's goals. I think it is the best of intentions and it sticks most of that. I think it holds up surprisingly well in a 2020, in the 2023 world. Um, and like, it's got a great cast. He's really great in it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- the more I think about this movie, the more I liked it. So I don't know. That's, that's where I'm at. I'm at an 84. What about you, Emily? Where are you? I, uh, you reading me Roger Ebert's review and saying uh, that he gave it three out of four. I was like, that's exactly right. I'm going 75. It's 75 out of 99. Sure. It's exactly three out of four stars. Good movie. Has some stuff that just doesn't land for me. That's fair. What about you, Ryan? Where are you? Where were you um, in 92 and where are you now? Is the yeah. Well, in 92, I'd say I was at a 90. Okay. So this movie um, hit for you back then. Oh, yeah. And I am not as down on the, the details in terms of this movie. And I put it up like 93 now for me. But okay. I, okay. But Emily, you'll come to find out that I just, I rate everything really high. I just, he does. <laughs> Listen, I, I, as I, I, I've seen so few movies from 1992. It's true. But everything I have, when I saw them back then, I gave it a 99 or I gave it a zero. That was my, I had a pass fail system. <laughs> I mean, right. that's a healthy system, by the way. Harshest <laughs> of critics. Yeah. 92. I mean, listen. Um, so I, I do, we're, we're covering a <laughs> film next week, uh, a film that Emily's very excited to talk about, which is a little film called Final Analysis. Oh, hell a yeah. Little, a little movie called Final Analysis with Richard Gere and, um, oh my God, Kim Basinger, Uma Thurman. Uh, it is one in a series of 90s sexy thrillers where men treat women real badly um and we don't write them well either <laughs> um yeah it's 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 it is a pants wait it's listen it's it's much more it's a very hitchcockian kind of thing it's about a doctor and his patient and you know duality and doppelgangers and you know all that all that fun stuff is um, eric roberts in that one he is in that one correct yeah. I, I like I, eric talk roberts. about snacks <laughs> i love eric roberts honestly i think eric roberts is great i i think what i'm excited to talk about emily and this is something that we're going to talk about a few times because we have you know basic instincts single white female hand that rocks the cradle consenting adults final analysis these <laughs> These Emily, this is this is a a cottage industry in the early '90s. One that, if I'm being honest, kind of wish that we had back, which was like adult thrillers. I don't necessarily want them from the same vantage point of you know the patriarchy and misogyny, but I do wish that we had adult thrillers back because we don't really have those anymore. And that that's a, that's an interesting thing. I don't you remember don't Final Analysis being too bad. I mean, maybe I, I I haven't seen it in forever, but I mean, I feel like Richard Gere was always. I don't know. He Richard was... Gere's never plays never plays like a truly putrid character. He always plays yeah. kind of like a guy you're sort of pseudo rooting for. Right. But it's it's more about the like it's it's more about it's more about Kim Basinger's character just not being written particularly well. And there, there, there's okay, some well, there's some stuff. Now know. again, what are you gonna do? I'm just saying, Emily, I'm curious as we continue to dig deeper into this, and we're you know, we we are gonna have Karina Longworth on as she mm-hmm. does her 90s sec- her 90s erotica series uh you know she's coming on to talk about a few of these movies with us i think she cool. can give us some insight into all of that as well i think that there's there's some there's some positives to take away from this i don't know how much you're gonna like final analysis that being said we have carrie whitmer and emmy potter coming on to talk about it with us um there's there's no one i'd rather uh unpack 
unnecessarily horny films with than uh, Carrie and Emmy, and I think it's great. Who directed that one? I think it's is it Mark Rydell? Is that his name? Or maybe I'm wrong. I love Mark Rydell. I don't know. I don't if it's know Mark Rydell. I think it's a rando. Is it I think it's uh, uh, it Phil is. Phil Janu. Phil Janu. Oh, I don't know who Phil Juno. He did uh, a State of Great Three O'clock High is one of the best. Oh, that. Phil Juno's great. He's great. He's rattling hum. I'm definitely going to be watching this along with you, I think. Because I, by the way, this I haven't movie, seen this movie in forever. It's on HBO Max, guys. So it's cool. free. You know, oh, cool, if cool. you pay for the subscription. You got Keith David's in this movie, too, Emily. Oh, you like Keith David. Oh, yeah. Um, Emily seems just pained, pained by the notion uh, <laughs> that she's going to have to watch I, Final Analysis. Again, I liked Bob Roberts. I had a good time with it. Yeah. I got to the end of it, and I turned to my wife, and I said, I like movies, right? Right. Oh, yeah? Well, you still <laughs> like just, movies? I like movies. Like, I, the, the, yes, I, I am... Uh, I'm, I'm, I realize that no one is sticking up for movies like Unforgiven, <laughs> but... I... I uh, mean- Here's here's my question for you. Emily. Final analysis. Do you know what the uh, what the tagline for final analysis is by any chance, Emily? Uh, well, I I do have the Wikipedia page open, so I'm sure I can just look up the a poster psychiatrist here. and two beautiful sisters playing playing the ultimate mind game. Someone was seduced. Someone was set up, and before it was over, someone was dead. Come on, oh, I love I'm... how long that is. Oh wait, poster. wait, and there's another. There's another tagline under the title that says hot-blooded passion cold-blooded murder Ooh. emily come on i just this just makes me want to watch wild things to be honest <laughs> well, that's i just like let's just fucking watch wild things yeah but that's but like I, I uma it. 1992 uma and yeah. also this movie made 75 million dollars in 1992 that's like 150 wow. million dollars wow <laughs> that's crazy so i'm God. I mean, different, um, different times, different times. Bis- yep. Listen, as a bisexual, I guess, I guess I'll take one for the team. It's going to be great. Um, Ryan, thank you so, so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for us. having me. I'm and, so glad. And you're, you're going to come back for another 92 and it's going to be great. I'm sure. uh, your, 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 your brother in arms, your prison warden, Clay Keller is coming on to talk about <laughs> something as well. It's going to be great. But, hey, uh, Ryan, Ryan, yes. I just want to let you know Beethoven's still open unless Tim Robbins swoops in. So you, you, got, love, it. you got I it. love Beethoven, uh, but yeah, Tim would be even better. Emily, I think <laughs> I'm going to be seeing you soon uh, on the best of 2023 draft. Which yes. Is, so yes. That I'm excited about. Yes. That's going to be a good one. Ugh. That's it. Here's I'm nervous. Thing. 2022, guys, good year for movies. Like, what? Yeah. Like, big, great year for movies. Let's stop slagging it. Let's stop talking about how, like, movies suck. When, oh, like, I thought it was a great year. That's the problem for me is that there's too many good movies. I feel like we're really going to battle that out. So really, yeah, it was yeah. it was a really good year, and I'm going to do my best to inject chaos into the pro- process. So I, here's here's what I can't Fantastic. wait for is, is Emily showing up as Lydia Tarr. So, like, <laughs> you have that to look forward to. <laughs> that better happen. He's, he said it, Emily, so now you have to do it. All I right. Emily's mind just, like, her, I've, I've never seen Emily's eyes widen like that in my life. The uh, podcast does not start until I do. <laughs> I mark the time. I mark the time. I press record. No, actually, the good folks at the Rebel Talk Network post record, but maybe they'd let me press record. Maybe they'll let you. I don't know. Who knows? So I can be tar. Yeah, who knows? Great. If this All happens, right, you've already won the draft, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs>
this is this was a blast. Thank you so much for pointing us towards Bob Roberts. Emily, yes. I am currently ordering your shirt. It's going to be great. Thank um, you. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye Thanks, y'all. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.